hard to find in the morning papers. It's hard to find in the magazines. It doesn't matter what show you tune in. It's hard to find on TV screen. But it's on talk radio. Truth is on. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. And we're cutting through the metric, standing in for John Stadmiller. And as the last caller was talking about, I'd like to put out a lot more books, and I have this all inside my head, and I could certainly rattle them off very quickly if I had something, someone else doing all the, the, the mechanical work here. Actually, it really does take up so much time, and even a half day in town getting essentials sets me back for a day and a half or two days. But that's just the way it goes in these times. And I can sell a lot of books that way too, but the, the times we're in, this, this, we're so, uh, they're so ch- incredibly changeable that we can't give up even to, or even take time off because we truly are going through a final stage here into this brave new world, which is going to be a heaven for those who control a utopia, but a hell for the masses as we all go through a hundred years war, a hundred years war. And out of that will come new types of humanoids, all created by scientists and so on, and the older ones will simply die off with diseases and plagues and all the rest of it, and we'll all be out the way. And this is going to affect everyone, everyone on the planet who's not in, on the, or at least not on the list of the elite's charter. Here's another article here from The Trumpet on the 17th of March, 2008. Now, uh, some months ago I talked about a book called The First Global Revolution put out by the Club of Rome, the the top think tank. It comes up with all these sci-fi ideas and con games and then they put it to other think tanks to work it into action all the way down to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And in that book, The First Global Revolution, the founders of the think tank admit that they looked around in the 70s for threats that they could create, unreal threats, false threats they could create, make a world public believe it, and, and have them all come together under a global governmental system. And they looked at all the, all the stuff, you know, the, the aliens are coming and all that kind of stuff and asteroids and yada, yada, yada. And they said that their best bet was to claim there was a crisis in the atmosphere and the earth changes, a crisis that we were causing. So humans would be the problem. They'd blame the humans. And that way we'd all have to go at war because at war to save Mother Earth. That was what they came up with 30-odd years ago. Here we are living through it. And it was all a con game from the beginning to unite the planet and take all your rights, all your freedoms, all your ability to sustain yourself individually away from you because the system that they and all the rest of them want to bring in is a world system of interdependence. And that means individually you will be completely dependent upon the system for everything you need to live. That's the bottom line. So here, as we carry on with this con game report, EU must build military in face of climate change. Here you go. How are they going to get the, the European army together to amalgamate all the countries? Here it is, same con game. 
The European Union needs to increase its civil and military power because of a serious security risk posed by climate change. According to a joint report from the EU, the two top policy or foreign policy officials, the paper draws attention to resources shortages in particular. The EU observer reports significant decreases in crop yields are expected to hit Turkey, Iraq, Syria and Saudi Arabia, and this affects stability in vitally strategic regions for Europe. Back with more from this article after the following break. You're listening to the National Intel Report with your host, John Statmiller. Hi folks, it's Alan Watt from Cutting Through the Matrix, standing in for John Statmiller. And we've got an hour or so to go. And just bringing you up to speed on international changes, because everything that happens across the pond in the UK and Europe is coming here and being implemented here actually quietly at the same time. It's one global agenda with all the scare tactics and they're all intermeshed with rapid deployment forces ready to go from one country to the next. We thought that was all to do with uprisings in Africa and so on. That's how they presented it to the public 20 odd years ago. Now you know it's really for you. And this article I'm reading is from the Wise Up Journal, also called the Trumpet, I believe, 17th of March 2008. Going on and using the same global catastrophe scenario and lack of food everywhere because of crop failure, now that they have Monsanto uh, et al. running the whole agri-food business and with their particular crops across the planet. By force, by the way, because in Iraq, uh, once they had gone in there and bombed the people all to hell and blew up all their infrastructure, they could even feed themselves or have clean water, uh, they, they mandated through the UN that they would use the modified the GMO seed to grow their crops. What a swell deal, huh? Well, as I was continuing here, from the, this article quotes from the EU Observer, it says, significant decreases in crop yields are expected to hit Turkey, Iraq, Syria and Saudi Arabia, and thus affect stability in a vitally strategic region of Europe. And predicts the report, um, the water supply in Israel might fall by 60% over this century. The document also warns of major changes to landmass leading to territorial disputes, political radicalization in poor regions of the world. Well, that's obviously going to happen. And that's why they get all these rapid deployment forces together. That's why the Department of Defense published 90 pages on 30 years of riots, increasing, increasing riots. It's on my website. Look into it under archives. And to continue this report, an effect that sea level rises increases in the frequency and intensity of natural disasters would have on port cities and oil refineries. The trumpet has forecasted for years that resource shortages will increase tension between nations as they see the coming food shortfall and running out of water. 
Europe will have to deal with these very real problems. The report points out these problems will also increase the EU's immigration issues as poor people from poor countries attempt to travel to areas that are thriving, thriving. So have a look at that and you'll see what's in store. This is the great plan, the great work to get us through this 100 years war as we lose everything that we ever had or thought we had. And the real fist appears because of taking off the velvet glove. The authorities now, as I say, all those services that you thought you had, these authorities are now going full steam ahead, drastically radicalize the whole world into their system of obedience, blind, swift obedience. And they're going to use every method in their arsenal. Ordo ab keo is on the way because it's the only way to get people to comply through terror and fear, shock and awe, shock and awe over and over again. Now we'll go back to the phones and we've got Linda in Pennsylvania. Are you there, Linda? Yes, Alan. Um, yes. I just wanted to bring up one good piece of reference material for people to go to um, to read an overall summary of this grand plan that you're always talking about piece by piece. It's the report from Iron Mountain written in 1967 yep. in secret. You know about that? I know about it. There's a, lot, there's a lot of humming and hawing if it was genuine. And then the reporter himself, the guy who wrote it, um, initially said it was. And then he, he, he about faced and says, no, it wasn't. He, he put it out as a novel. And, and he went back and forth wishy-washy. Uh, either way, I think it was predictive programming um, from probably think tanks, getting to, uh, as used to the idea even, and seeing how quickly... And you see, they also test the patriotic community by putting out reports every so often ahead of mainstream media to see how quickly it, it travels through the patriotic circles because they want to see how they will affect the general population if they have any effect at all, in fact. So, well, whether it, was, whether it was real or predictive programming, nonetheless, it, it, it um, allegedly was um, published in 1967. Um, yeah. Uh, over, you know, 40 years ago, and everything that is laid out in that report has come to fruition and is on track, according to all the predictive programming articles that we see now, mm -hmm. on track to 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 carry to be carried out in its final phases. And I just think, um, in, generally speaking, for people who are wanting to wake other people up, that would be a good place to start with, um, you know, a comprehensive summary of exactly what is going on. It might be, but as I say, it was put out too um, by someone who also wrote novels. And so, I mean, personally, I'd rather stick to the facts that are published by the think tanks themselves. Mm -hmm. If you go into the Rockefeller Foundation, for instance, look into the website of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Mm -hmm. Look at all the departments. They, now, this, this is a, a non-profit organization, supposedly, and non-political, who draft up integration processes for Europe, America, at the Far East, and so on. And uh, it's all lords and sirs and, and their boards. Look at everything they've got their finger into, oil, gasoline, food, across the planet, uh, all infrastructure, they're into everything 
uh, and they publish. They publish it. And they also publish their own journal for the Council on Foreign Relations, the American branch of the same organization, uh, Foreign Affairs, every month. And they tell you where it's going. These are the same guys who published uh, in the Foreign Affairs magazine that they would do an end run around the Constitution, run and attack it head on. They would just simply ignore it and go around it. Right, right, right. Um, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, one question I have is they said that uh, this Iron Mountain report, they said that it was um, a report was leaked out. No, it was leaked out. One, one published, it was published, but it's hard to get a copy of it. It was pu- published by Dell, they said. Yeah, as I say, there was too much controversy about it, controversy, and then uh, and then the doctor himself eventually said, no, he'd, he'd simply so he recanted ideas and speculations into it. So you, you, you can't, personally, as I say, I'd rather stay off novelists altogether. No, I, have, no, I didn't know that even, even though, <laughs> Yeah, even though they, 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 they do put out stuff like that. Now, a lot of the science fiction writers go to the future society. They belong to this massive society run by the top boys. Um, and they're given their ideas on what to write in their novels for predictive programming. So a lot of that stuff comes out of the, the top think tanks. And you, if you were, if you had access to the future of society, you would hear all this stuff years before anyone else. So a lot of the novelists get their ideas from there. Right. Okay, yeah. I just uh, wanted to put that out there. Thanks a lot, Alan. Yep. Bye. Thanks for calling. Now I've got Audrey in Austin. Texas, are you there, Audrey? Uh, yes. Um, earlier in the program, um, I missed it. You mentioned a book and the uh, author's uh, name regarding um, germ warfare in World War II. I had just walked in the room, and I, I missed that. I was wondering if you would repeat it. Yeah, the book was called uh, Deadly Allies, and the subtitle was Canada's Secret War. It was put out by a reporter from the Toronto Star, and it contained declassified documentation of Canada's leading role in the viral and, and bacterial and fungal uh, warfare agenda during and after World War II. So it was all stuff given out by the governments of Britain, the U.S., and Canada, and it's photocopied right into his book, those particular parts. It's not made up, it's factual. And, and what's allowed to be known uh, to the public is horrifying in itself, and never mind the fact that most of the stuff is still classified. But um, during World War II, you'll see in the book Deadly Allies, you, you, you'll see that they could literally, they were talking about um, infecting everybody with a German gene and, and uh, and uh, Sir, Sir, uh, Sir Banting, who came, gave us the, or he got the honor at least for creating insulin, uh, worked for the Bacterial Warfare Foundation for Canada, and he, he, he was working on certain diseases to even kill off the food supply. See, see, food again has always been used in war, and he wanted to kill off the whole food supply on the Axis forces, and they even came up with a disease which literally could, could hollow out and funnel out like a sponge uh, the brains of cattle, uh, very much like um, mad cow disease. So it makes you wonder if they simply reintroduced it at the right time for a different purpose and a different enemy. 
because they had all that stuff during World War II. They could literally put um, different viruses together, splice them and so on, and come up with a new virus in a fast breeder, they called them. And the, the fast breeders were out on an island off of Nova Scotia, uh, Canada, and they could create a new virus within an hour. That's how far advanced they were. They came up, too, with Lyme's disease, and they tried it out in Alberta and uh, sprayed from aircraft, etc., attached to ticks, and that's been spread, too. Well, I hear the music coming. Yeah, thank you for your uh, information. Thank you. Okay, and I'll be back with more after these messages. and change your culture 
gradually along the way. You prepare your minds for what's coming to what you think is entertainment. And that way, predictive programming works because subconsciously you've seen this idea before. It's familiar to you, so you don't question it when it really happens in real life. You think, it, I guess it must be inevitable. It's kind of familiar. You see, never before in history could anyone claim a plague was coming. Only in an age of science where we can create plagues can you be sure of it. That's called common sense. Common sense. And at the beginning of the show tonight, I talked about people like Bertrand Russell, H.G. Wells, and Huxley and others, bewailing and bemoaning the fact that health improvements and standards of living and hygiene and better food and medical treatment were disencouraging the death rate to increase. They wanted it to increase, you see. They were terribly afraid that all the common types would outbreed the elite types. And the junk genes, in other words, that's what the little in-house joke about as the people. We're all junk genes. Everyone junk genes. We'd be at the top because we'd be bred selectively, very specially, carefully selected for male and female and offspring. As elites are, that's what they marry for. They don't marry because they love each other. They marry because they want offspring to inherit the family estate inheritance and they live through their progeny, just like the ancient pharaohs did. And just to show you that they mean business, they're going the whole way. From Canada's The Globe and Mail, Tuesday, February the 26th, is a report by Martin Middlestadt, the environmental reporter. They even have environmental reporters. And you know who, whose payroll he'll be on. Hollowed out of a sandstone mountainside on remote Norwegian islands, a newly constructed planetary depository for seeds from key agricultural crops dubbed the Doomsday Vault is receiving its first samples this morning. The underground bomb-proof shelter financed by the Norwegian government and located in the Svalbard Islands in the Arctic Ocean, designed to safeguard the genetic diversity of the plants, lacking the world's food supply in case political instability, nuclear war, or climatic upheaval over the centuries wipes out key seed varieties from the countries of origin. And he hasn't mentioned too there's also private foundations involved in this. The vault has the capacity to hold a hoard of about 2.25 billion seeds, enough to preserve very important agricultural crops on Earth. But it will entail for safekeeping today an initial shipment of 100 million seeds from 268,000 varieties of wheat, barley, lentils, and other crops beginning of a genetic troll that could come in handy for future generations, but not for us, back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
to the National Intel Report, the Real Talk Radio Show. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. I'm cutting through the Matrix, standing in for John Stadmiller. And we've got about half an hour to go, and I'm trying to get some information out there to the public. In the meantime, I'll be back, mind you, at 8 p.m. on my own show. And reading just one little red herring, and I mean red herring, when you publish something in a newspaper about storing the world's seeds, believe you me, we'll have about nine or ten other ones which will not. To the magician, you see, watch this hand. That's how the thing's done. Watch this hand. And you have all the money in the world to play with because they tax it from us, you see, so they can build these things all over the planet. But watch this hand. Watch this white glove and, and don't watch the other one. That's why they publish things like this. And no doubt, during a catastrophe, or if there was a catastrophe, if we still bring on, it'll be man-made for sure, uh, and planned that way. And you'll try to head out to this vault. Probably find there's not much in it, if anything at all. I'll continue with it anyway, as, as, they, as they give us more of this. This is the vault opening marks a turning point towards ensuring the crops that sustain us will not be lost at Gary Fowler, or Carrie Fowler, who helped assess the feasibility of the storage facility as executive director of the Rome-based Global Crop Revised Diversity Trust, a plant preservation group. In the case of large-scale regional or even global catastrophes, quite likely that the seed vault would prove indispensable to humanity, he wrote in a report being released today that describes the thinking behind the creation of the vault. It costs about $9 million dollars and has been built to withstand everything from global warming to nuclear war. Given its location and construction, the seed vault would likely survive almost anything. There are currently about 1,400 collections of agricultural seeds spread around the world at plant breeding facilities in agricultural ministries and universities holding about 6.5 million different cultivars or crop varieties. The new vault has been designed to gather samples from these collections and store them in a secure facility, ensuring that if anything happens, the original seeds backups will be available to guarantee the unique genetic resources aren't permanently lost. And then it goes on and on and on about this one here. But I see, believe you me, this is part of the red herring idea. The, the real ones will be highly secretive and will never appear in a newspaper. I watched a program a few years ago on public broadcasting on a rainy Sunday afternoon about facilities they call ARCs run by the World Wildlife Society. Big, big foundation with lots of pool. Look at the, the top-ranking members who also push the global catastrophe scenario and who also believe in vastly reducing the world's population. And this particular World Wildlife Facility was in Louisiana. Big estate, massive buildings, and the woman who was in charge of it was also a professor at one of the major universities down there. And it's a cryogenics laboratory, one of three they claimed worldwide. They didn't say where the other two were. And in it, they had every gene from every living species of every creature on the planet. I have no doubt, too, they'll have the majority of human genes there, too, if they want to recreate particular types of human servants or slaves. 
And the woman was asked if they'd use this this artificial insemination process and after taking the genes out of the cryogenic state and successfully gave birth to anything. And she says, oh yeah, many times. And they could even take, say, wildcats and out of it, uh, bring, them, bring them back to a certain temperature, carefully nourish them, put them in artificial insemination into even a domesticated cat for part of the pregnancy and then move it to another animal creature. It didn't really matter what, who the carrier was or what the carrier was and give birth. Now that also means they could do the same to humans. And she said that was one of three worldwide with the same scenario again for worldwide catastrophe uh, or coming plagues or whatever else it happened to be. The elite are so far ahead of ensuring their own survival is beyond any scary movie you could ever imagine. So I often wonder too, you see this whole idea with the International Space Station or ISIS as it's commonly called amongst the in-group. If that's also another arc, because it's a perfect place to keep all this genetic material off the planet and you would need very big deep freezes up there in space to have everything you would need to reseed, as they call it, reseed the planet. Should they go the whole way with all of their ideas for annihilation? And these are the maniacs, the psychopaths, who naturally are in control because they've gone through talks on psychopathy before. Psychopaths crave power. The psychopaths prefer to manipulate others to get their way, get others to do the work for them. Psychopaths can sometimes go into the military and become top generals and leaders and so on. And they also create power in politics. So they, they also get to the top as CEOs of big corporations because they are ruthless. They are utterly ruthless. Another trademark of the psychopath. So in a, in a financial system, to be honest with you, I think the financial system is their system going back thousands and thousands of years. With the advent of money, I don't care what money is, you will always get the same, as long as there's people in charge of it, deciding how, what it's worth and, and running it and telling you every day what its purchasing power is. You And, and everyone... Has a, everyone has a fear, natural fear of poverty, uh, uh, sickness, not being able to get health treatment, food, all the things that you need money for, as opposed to a natural system that where tribes took care of each other without money. And they did that for thousands, maybe even millions of years beforehand. We forget that all the time. But money literally destroyed all that and put certain people in charge. And it also enabled them to get in and accumulate money, those who wanted to get up the ranks. The psychopath is a psychopath dream, the commercialized system. They can't help but get to the top. Because as I say, they are utterly and completely ruthless. They don't care who they destroy. They don't care what tactics they use to get there. They sleep very well at night and don't need sleeping pills. Those are the psychopaths. 
So this system is run by psychopaths. And the problem is they're interbred. Now, Plato went through in his book, The Republic, his utopia. Remember, he himself, remember, was a member of the aristocracy. And he put it down to good breeding, as they say. In other words, they selected their mates perfectly. Money would marry money, which meant that both male and female came from families that clawed their way up or slaughtered their way up to the top. So they also already had traits. And he said they could also breed working class people the same way as animals can breed traits in or out of domesticated animals. If you want a guard dog, you don't get a Labrador. Labradors are bred to be very, very happy types of dogs and retrievers that they don't necessarily um, look like guard dogs to. They're not ferocious that way. So you can breed traits in or out of humans the same way. They've always given us good shepherds down through the millennia. The animals forget what they're there for. Now how would any animal call its keeper, its farmer, good? When its only purpose is to be fed, is to feed the masters, be slaughtered to feed the masters, or to clothe them, or to earn money for them by being sold to someone else to eat. It's always fascinating how we call ourselves sheep. Sheep are domesticated animals, especially millennia long, interbred, especially bred, domesticated sheep. They initially came from types of goats. Goats are wild. Goats climb mountains to get away from hunters and enemies. But domesticated sheep are different. We are domesticated. That's the problem. And we're domesticated through many, many, many means, not just programming through a cultural system that you're born into. You're domesticated now with attacks literally on the brain where specific parts of the brain are targeted by viral warfare purposes and techniques. And I've always said that's what inoculations primarily do. Babies have tremendous fevers after their first inoculations. Where's the fever centered? It's centered in the head. Doctors are told and trained that this is all normal. They just stop and stand back from the training. They might start thinking, because wherever you have inflammation, it's the death of tissue. And some of the big characters have written about this too. Lord Bertrand Russell said by the use of even the needle, he could manage the population by the use of the needle. He can docile. Think about it. Now I've got Tim from North Carolina. Are you there, Tim? Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, when you were initiated into these orders, it, it seems like to me that, that they've done the same thing to the public, the same logic to it, uh, through, you know, school and, and such as that. What do you think about that? Uh, you're quite right. In fact, Albert Pike, in his own writings, said, uh, he talked about this being a Masonic system meaning they gave us education, culture, and so on, which they did. They, they were the guys who spearheaded it, and not only education, which is a good thing if it was real education, but an actual indoctrination process, you see. And he mm -hmm. said, um, he said, there are many out there who are, are Masons, although they haven't gone through the higher rituals, they've never been initiated. 
you see, you've been initiated already if, you, if you're born into a pre-existing Masonic system. It's all through your school system. Your, 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 when you used to stand up outside schools in military fashion, that's all from Freemasonry. And marching and everything came from Freemasonry, from the Templars. So you're born into a Freemasonic system already, and, and you don't even know it. Uh, everything around you is Freemasonic. They champion their mandate, and their mandate actually, the higher mandate that uh, Pikeners put out, mandated the end of private property, the restructuring of family. Well, now you have new types of families now, if you notice. Mm-hmm. Um, they also talked about science and, the, the, and nature's science and the laws of nature is how they often capture it, meaning science itself would rule and the natural aristocracy, meaning the experts would have the right to rule the lessers, and the end of, of even um, a particular type of financial system would come into play. So they do work towards what they think is a utopia. The guys at the bottom don't know much about it, they're not too bright. And um, you are in the Masonic system. The symbols are all around you. Uh, I once sung in a Gaelic choir at junior school. I think it was about 10 years old or so. We won what they called the mods. That was the, the Gaelic choir contest in, in Scotland. Uh, we won it that year. And we were asked to sing at the opening of the Presbyterian Church for Scotland, the National Presbyterian Church. Actually, it's a worldwide one. And uh, the BBC was there. They filmed it and so on. Massive church in Edinburgh. We went to, and I saw these guys with their black gowns, uh, with the, what the masons would call their, their jewels. You know, they have their, their particular uh, objects that they carry forth back and forth. But these guys went back and forth like sergeant majors, dressed in these these gowns, black gowns, to, and they were marching and they were doing about faces, proper military drill. And I said, "What kind of religion is this?" Well, of course, all that religion came out of Freemasonry the Presbyterian uh, movement, and um, if it didn't come out of it, it was certainly taken over in a hurry, and you're watching military Masonic drills take place, uh, and the public haven't a clue what they're actually doing when they see this being performed. We've been exoterically bent one degree at the time, haven't we? Yes, we have, yeah. yeah. What do you, uh, a different question now, Did, uh, was uh, that guy... Um, William Cooper, was he for real? William Cooper? Yeah, Bill Cooper. Uh, William Cooper started off initially in the New Age movement. He had been in the U.S. military. He was convinced it was aliens that was doing all of this. And in his first talks around the world, around the country, he was completely sure of this. And then, um, after an accident... Uh, and coming across some characters that were following him, he found out that he'd been used and, and given false information, prepared for his role, in fact. I've always said, if you want a fool to fool others, you, you get a willing fool, someone who truly believes it. Well, that's what convincing. I heard him say. He said exactly that. That's right. Yep, and, and then when he realized he'd been used, and, and even when he was in the naval intelligence, that false information had been passed around across his desk to, to con him, to fool him, Right. Uh, then he got really angry and started to expose it, and he went to Area 51. He did put out a video on Area 51, and you'll see these craft coming out the ground and streaking across the sky. And, and he said the same thing, that they're making, they're making these craft here. 
and uh, he got very bitter to realize that he'd been set up over a number of years while in military or naval intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got that book, uh, Behold a Pale Horse, and uh, it's pretty, uh, looks, it looks only money to me. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading that. Yes, I, I, I got through with that uh, uh, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, too. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's all, a fantastic all, part. The, yeah. And that would, uh, we know that they have them, because they're now publishing the fact that they do have these, and they're using these weapons on the public uh, as they spray the skies, as they use the harp on top of it, and so on. They're using these these quiet weapons. Yeah, I tuned in to, I think it was like 40, 48, 13 kilohertz on a short wave, and I, I heard the whooshing sound you were talking about. Yes, you'll hear it in a few different places. Sometimes they'll alter it from morning till night, in fact, but it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week now. Mm-hmm. And that's the harp technology pulsing away as you spray the sky. Yeah, yeah, I had, see, I had all that stuff in school about waves and carrier waves and, you know, uh, uh, modulated waves and also I, put it, I kind of understand how they're doing it but uh, that's, that's scary that, that they can do that all over the planet yes it is and they're also using satellite technology in combination with it and we know for instance that the treaty they signed in the 70s of the United Nations on weather warfare they can also affect your mood make you angry, aggressive, passive whatever they wish according to the frequency they decide to use I'll let somebody else more after call in. I hear the music. I'm back with more after these messages. memory 
or they could clone themselves, a perfect young, a younger um, version of themselves, and then download that memory into their new body. Uh, this is all fact. I mean, this is what they're working on heavily, because these characters truly do believe that they should be immortal physically as well as spiritually. Sometimes in the news, when people are said to die, for example, Kenneth A. of the Enron Corporation and then the Pakistani woman, Benazar Bhutto, for some reason yeah. it just doesn't strike me as true. I just, my gut feeling says they aren't really dead. Are people being mm -hmm. spirited off somewhere um, in preparation maybe for a cataclysm here? It, it's very possible. If we see an awful mm -hmm. lot of that happening, Mm -hmm. uh, then you, you're probably quite correct. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite easy for the big ones to arrange worldwide te televised scenarios if they want to uh, skip out of the limelight and come back with uh, plastic surgery or whatever, reconstruction. Um, it's not a difficult thing at all. In fact, as I say, the, the more you promote it, the more, the more everyone will believe it uh, if you do it on a, a wide scale or a dramatic scale. Mm -hmm. So... It's very possible. Who knows? We really don't know. We're kept in the dark at the bottom level. We're like mushrooms. If we're thinking yeah. you're getting that far with the engrams, still that wouldn't explain why thousands of years ago they were still you know, behaving as though they were coming back. I mean, it indicates that yeah. maybe it can it be done always, without it technology. Always, it was always the goal. That's why they, they literally went through such incredible lengths. To preserve the bodies of the pharaohs mm -hmm. and created a religion to do with perpetual return of spirit into body mm -hmm. uh, after death, the Ka and the Ba and the other three. Mm -hmm. So you're quite correct, that's always been their intention and they show it through the religions. But you don't think that's they the music coming that? up for the for the end mm -hmm. of the show now. Thank you. So we'll talk to you again. From Hamish myself up in Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods with you.